0: Hello
1: once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, where I have been commuting back and forth to nearby New Jersey to play in some events on WSOP.com. I want to start off this episode by thanking all of you that gave me uh, feedback on our most recent episode, the one in which I discussed the Doug Polk versus Daniel Negreanu heads up match as seen on Poker Go. Now, since then, the match has moved online where it will continue for the remainder of the 25,000 hands. Uh, It was certainly nice to hear from all of you about what you thought of the live coverage. And the consensus seems to be most people agree with me that it was entirely too civil. <laughs> of course, many of you did point out, and correctly so, that the world itself hasn't been very civil these days, especially uh, with the election and all of the other issues facing the, the country, at least here in the U.S. Uh, and so for some, it was actually nice to see two people sit at a poker table and not berate each other or degrade each other in any way. Uh, My problem with that is it was pretty fake. (laughs) I mean, I guess it might be better in this day and age to watch people be fake than to see more bullying on television. So I understand those of you who felt that way. But to me, it just felt cowardly uh, on Doug's part. And remember, guys, I actually have a bet on Doug. Not a huge one, but I got a little piece of the action. As I'm recording this, Wednesday... In the early evening, the uh, heads up match online is about to continue. So by the time you hear this, there will be some updated results. But as of now, I believe Doug is up something like $200,000. and uh, that it shows I, they played three sessions, including the one on television. This could very easily become extremely expensive for Daniel unless he either runs good or really starts to sharpen up his game. Uh, I did receive some feedback about my comments on the match. Many of you felt that I did a pretty good job of breaking down the hands. And, you know, it's real easy for me to sit here and play Monday morning armchair quarterback. I'm not sitting there playing for millions of dollars. And these guys do have a lot of action on the match and not just the money that they're actually playing for literally online, but they also have side bets Lots and lots of side action going on, and also kind of the pride factor, and at least in Daniel's case, some of his close friends from the live poker world investing substantial percentages of their net worth in the outcome of this match. To place a huge bet on a heads-up match is kind of reckless, let's just say, because Anything can happen, even over the course of 25,000 hands. Although I do personally feel that Doug's edge will continue to prove insurmountable for Daniel, who is a very good poker player in general, but he's clearly overmatched. Even in the 200 hands of live that we discussed last week, even though Daniel booked a very solid win there, I still felt that he was making a lot of Pretty big mistakes in the heads-up match. And I don't expect Doug to be making too many fundamental mistakes because, uh, as we mentioned, he is trying to approximate GTO. So it's almost like if Doug is able to play a GTO strategy or something that's very, very close to it, it would be almost like betting against a slot machine. The machine has the edge no matter what the player does. So (laughs) I would love to put my money on any slot machine against anybody who wants to pull the handle. So anyway, I am excited to watch. I mean, so far they've only played a total of something like 2,000 hands. So, you know, we have a long, long way to go in this match. And it's going to be really fun to just see the ebbs and flows. I wish we could see... With the whole cards up, but obviously they can't do that. I suppose you could do it if you wanted to do a Twitch with a delay or something like that. But so far, neither player has been doing exactly that. So we can watch them play on Twitch. I know that Doug is showing his on uh, his Upswing Poker Twitch page. And I believe that Daniel is also streaming either on YouTube or wherever else. So it should be fun to watch and enjoy. But for me, the fact that Doug had to go right back to criticizing Daniel and taking a few jabs at him after they were no longer in person face to face, I think does show a certain amount of cowardice on his part. But, you know, I never enjoy sore losers and people who gloat when they win or, berate or ridicule their opponents. At least if you're going to do that, you should do that in person as well. I also wanted to let you guys know that I am participating in the latest tournament series on WSOP.com. They're actually running out of names for these series. There's pretty much something every month because they are trying to continue the momentum that they built up at the start of the pandemic. Uh, I have noticed that games have gotten a little bit tougher than they were say in April and May Uh, and that's to be expected. Probably a lot of the people who were initially quarantined are no longer quarantined so they're not playing online as much as they were before. Also possibly a lot of those players ran out of money. Maybe some of them took their big shot over the summer in the bracelet events and that didn't work out. Whatever the case may be, I have noticed that although I still feel I have a pretty significant edge in the average $50 to $100 buy-in tournament on that site. I have noticed that my edge is smaller than it used to be, and I think that the players in general are better as some of the uh, wheat has been separated from the chaff, if you will. Uh, And particularly, I've been having some success in the PLO, cash games there and I know this is a tournament podcast so I'm not going to go over any of the PLO hands but I would say if you're a pot limit omaha player or specialist or even just someone that has a clue about that game I would recommend finding your way to Nevada or New Jersey so that you can play on this site where we really have a lot of people just going on there and gambling you'll you can expect every pot to be inflated I mean, I don't know, maybe this is the future of PLO and that somehow there is an edge to be gained by playing this hyper-aggressive style, but it just feels to me that anyone with four high cards just wants to get all the money in, no matter how big the stack is. And so you have to buckle up and be ready for some wild swings on WSOP.com. So uh, I do expect to be there again this weekend, so... Maybe I will have some more interesting hands to discuss with you guys. Uh, I wanted to circle back to something I mentioned a few weeks ago. I did win a $109 PKO tournament on ACR recently. Usually I have this program that's recording all my hands and saving everything. So I really wanted to kind of dissect that tournament a little bit, but at least at this point, that appears to be a a no-go, a non-starter. So, uh, But I do have some hands to discuss from a $50 daily deep stack with a $15,000 guarantee. Now, this would be on WSOP.com, which, again, is not a sponsor of this podcast. They're not a sponsor of me. I know that I talk about that site a lot, but I am an independent, contractor and I'm allowed to state my opinions, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, You guys know I like playing on WSOP.com for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that it reminds me of the old days of Paradise Poker because it's basically the same software. I don't know how many of you will have played on Paradise Poker or many of you may have been born After it was defunct, Paradise Poker was a fun website where you could buy other players a drink. And there was like a little graphic of you could have a martini or a cigar. Uh, There was music that would play. It really had kind of like a cartoonish feel to it. And at the same time, they had some pretty decent high stakes action on there. And it then later became 888 Poker and now is at least where I live, it is called WSOP.com. We played on that site. I picked out two hands that I thought were interesting. And by the end, we'll be able to talk about what makes both of these hands interesting. I don't want to tell you up front what kind of concepts I was looking at in choosing these hands to discuss today. But anyway, it's a $50 tournament with a $15,000 guaranteed prize pool. It's a Sunday it's a freeze out. So, what that means is that even if I happen to bust out during the registration period, I can't buy in again. So, there's no re entry in this tournament. Now, in the old days, the word freeze out was opposed to the rebuy and add on format. Well, nowadays we have tournaments with re entries, tournaments with rebuys and add ons, which are almost extinct in the live realm and even when they are they now rake the rebuy and the add-on which they never used to do in the old days before casinos started to try to find every single way to bleed all of the value out of (laughs) tournament poker Uh, don't get me started on that Uh, and then of course we have the freeze out which is a tournament that does not allow re-entry so that's what this one is and I do think it's important, at least on this site, because many players, if they're playing in a tournament with re-entries, they treat it like a rebuy tournament from the old days, where you didn't worry about getting killed on the rake. You could just pretty much count on every dollar you put into buying chips, and the tournament was basically plus EV if you were a winning player. Uh, nowadays, I'm not so sure that's the case. You do reach a point of critical mass, if you will, a certain number of buy-ins that have all been raked on this site, sometimes 10%, you're no longer profitable in that tournament even if you're the best player in it. So I don't think that the wild and loose, reckless strategy is as viable as it would be in the absence of that rake. Uh, Now, I say all this to say, now this is a freeze-out and I've noticed that the players on this site treat a freeze-out tournament much differently than they do a tournament with re-entries. They are mostly extremely cautious about losing their stacks early, knowing that they won't be able to re-enter the tournament. And so as a result, many times we can put pressure on players who are overfolding just because they want to get their $50 worth or whatever the case may be. Here we go, it's uh, 75 and 150, there is a 20 ante, and we have eight players at the table. There's 385 in the middle, and Hero, we have 5400. Registration is still open, but that doesn't matter to those of us who have already bought in because we cannot re-enter. But just to say that it's kind of early in the tournament, although registration will be closing within the next 30 minutes. So, our stack is just a little below average. I think the average at this point was about 6000. I believe in this tournament you start with 5000. So, we've lost some players already. Uh but we're fine. Our M is 17. We've got what is that? Like 36 big blinds. So, we're doing okay. We're in second position at an eight-handed table and we have the jack 9 of clubs, jack of clubs, 9 of clubs. It's an eight-handed table. You could certainly fold. I don't think it's necessary to play this hand. I thought that my opponents were generally on the passive side and that it was unlikely that I would be facing a light three bet. And so I decided to go ahead and open this hand. Uh, As I said, if if you're a folder in this spot, that's fine. And at a tougher table, I myself would also be folding. But I decided to open the suited Jack 9 here in second position. And the player in the big blind is the only caller. So that's a pretty good result. I'm going to be in position against the player who was getting the best price to call. Uh, I made it 450, which is 3 times the big blind, which probably accounts for some of the folding between the big blind and me. And that's fine. I think that early in a tournament, I tend to size up three or sometimes even three and a half to four times the big blind. And that's because I don't mind building pots, especially pots that I'm likely to play in position. Now, in this case, I didn't have any way of knowing what kind of action would happen on my left. But making a 3x just seems to discourage people more so than the min raise might. So it worked out that only the big blind calls. Now let's talk about this player. He's not the guy that I was just describing that you normally encounter in this type of quote-unquote freeze-out tournament on this site. Uh, This guy has been very, very wild and loose aggressive, uh, which may actually be a good case for me not even opening this hand in the first place because I have noticed this player is the most likely player at my table to three-bet light or three-bet at all is a pretty big blind defender who also seems to be pretty sticky post-flop often check raising a continuation bet uh and just trying to put the moves on everybody uh he's not one of the ones that's really concerned about the fact that it's a freeze out he's also got several other tables going at this point and he's got us covered with 7500 so that means our stack will be the effective stack in this hand so he calls and now with 1145 in the pot and about a little less than 5k in our stack we see a flop ace of diamonds nine of spades deuce of spades so ace nine deuce with two spades hero holding the jack nine of clubs So we have middle pair and some extremely nebulous backdoor straight possibilities. And our opponent checks in flow and it's up to us. Now, many times and against many opponents, I would check it back here. You want to do pot control. You don't want to get into trouble. I just think that it's less likely than usual that our opponent has an ace. With many of his aces, even his weaker aces, he would at least sometimes three-bet pre-flop. That's how aggressive this player was. Kind of having that in mind, I really wasn't especially worried about my opponent having an ace in this situation. So I decided to continuation bet here on the flop, but not as a bluff. I'm hoping to get value. I actually welcome a check raise at this point. Well, you might say, Clayton, that's ridiculous. I mean, you only have second pair with a jack kicker. But as you guys know by now, I tend to take exploiting my opponents pretty far. And so if I get check raised here, I'm probably going to three bet because that will almost always be a bluff or a semi-bluff with any two spades, possibly a hand like king 10 with the king of spades. Uh, and always, I'm not especially worried about being behind an ace. But look at it this way. Even if my opponent somehow didn't three-bet with his weak ace and now flopped an ace, can he really check-raise? I mean, I don't really know too many players that could do that when they don't really know where they stand. I mean, I raise from second position. I'm supposed to have a lot of strong aces in my range. What that means to me is that my opponent's check-raising range would mostly be hands that have us crushed, like sets and two-pair-type hands, of which there aren't that many, by the way. Again, because we discount the possibility that our opponent has an ace, that means that all of his two-pair combos are less likely as well, which leaves the combo draws and flush draws as being the bulk of that check-raising range overall. So that means my pair of nines will probably be good a lot even when I do get check raised here and this is how I tend to approach playing against an extremely maniacal loose aggressive opponent like this one so because of that I'm happy to bet and I'm not fearing a check raise in a sense I'm actually welcoming it I go ahead and bet half the pot now many times we want to bet smaller so that you can get called by more hands yada 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 but I'm looking at the stacks and how I would want to get all in against a wild player like this one. I have about 4,900 in my stack, and we're betting about 600 here on the flop, so about half the pot. If my opponent makes a reasonable check raise to something like sixteen or 1,800, we can then get it all in pretty comfortably. Without it feeling like too big of an overbet, I am actively trying to shovel chips in against this opponent. There's a very strong chance Jack-9 is good, so we're trying to get all in against his bluffing range or his semi-bluffing range because we are favorite against those ranges and fade the possibility that he just flatted with an ace and then flopped big enough with that ace to want to get all in with us or happen to get super duper lucky with the hand like pocket deuces that now has three of a kind and has us drawing virtually dead. So yeah, we're fading those worst case scenarios. Those are the monsters under the bed that I'm not going to worry about. I am trying to get a lot of chips in here and I want action. So we're trying to entice a check raise. And I think that betting a little bigger about half the pot, a little less, Then 600 here, so I bet 567 to be exact, hoping for that check raise, but it doesn't come. He just calls and now I'm feeling very comfortable that my pair of nines is the better hand. So now with 2269 in the bot and about 4300 in the stack, we see a turn which is a queen of diamonds, which is not the best card to see. I mean it's good that it didn't complete a flush or a straight draw. Uh, I just don't want to see an over card to my nines here on the turn and this is the kind of hand that our opponent could easily have. Like any Queen X with the Queen of Spades that wants to call this continuation bet and see if he picks up any type of draw on the turn. This is how loose this guy is. He could easily call us here with like Queen 10. So we didn't really want to see the Queen, and we think there's a reasonable chance that hit this opponent. So when he checks again here on the turn, we decide to check it back. And then the river is the Ace of Hearts for a final board of Ace of Diamonds, Nine of Spades, Deuce of Spades, Queen of Diamonds, Ace of Hearts. So two flush draws missed, and now the board pairs On the river and our opponent aggressive wild soul that he is leads out here on the river for 834 into the 2269 pot. So he bets about one third of the pot a little bit more. And I think that a couple of years ago, I would always just call here. Uh, As I said, I'm a little worried about the queen. But I think that our nines are good a lot, and we're getting a really good price to just call and see what he turns over. But I decided to go ahead and put the whole stack in. And the reason why is because there's some chance that we are either outkicked, like our opponent could have king nine, or that the villain in this hand could actually have hit that queen, which I thought was a distinct possibility all along. The question is, if he does have a queen, can he really call my shove? And I believe the answer is no. Many times, players who employ this maniacal, loose, aggressive style, which, by the way, many of you probably think I employ (laughs) myself, so I suppose it's all relative, but many players who have this attacking any sign of weakness kind of style, many times, if you stand up to them, they very sheepishly run away. So they might be very comfortable in the aggressor role, but less comfortable in the having to make the hero call with queen eight kind of role. So kind of banking on all of that, as well as the possibility that I might be facing a chop here, which would really suck to call. And then he's got something like nine six and we end up chopping with aces and nines with a queen kicker. So I decided the best play here was to go ahead and shove and put him to the test. And I remember he folded almost instantly. So that was a a hand that worked out well. It felt a little crazy at the time. Why am I putting in so many chips with such a marginal hand? But I think if you spend the first hour of a tournament developing reads on your opponents, it might be a good idea to use those reads in the second hour. That's kind of my philosophy. If I see a clear mistake that my opponent makes, I try very hard to find opportunities to exploit those mistakes. And I believe that's what happened here. Uh, Yeah, I was pretty happy with that result. Love to know if you guys think it was a good play or not. Am I just speeding here and going crazy? (laughs) Or does it make sense to rip it in from your point of view uh so yeah tweet me at clayton comic as always love to hear from you guys all right so one more hand from this same tournament now it's much later we're near the bubble the blinds are up to 250 and 500 with a 65 ante and we're not in the money yet we're about 30 or 40 spots away from it uh at this point the average stack is twenty-eight thousand, and we have 33,000. So we're we're right there. So the blinds 250 and 500 with 65 ante. So the starting pot is 1270. So our M is just under 30. Or if you prefer, we have about 65, 66 big blinds. Now I should point out we're at a different table. We've been moved or the table's been consolidated, whatever. Uh, so it's not the same table this new table is a lot tighter and generally more professional so uh, two folds to us and we have the ace jack offsuit ace of spades jack of clubs at an eight-handed table and we go ahead and make the min raise here just to 1k now you might notice earlier in the early stages of the tournament i did a 3x open and i find that later in the tournament any raise gets a lot more respect so it's less important although sometimes still a good idea it's less important to make those bigger pre-flop raises so here i just revert to a little click raise make it 1k and the loose passive uh calling station type of guy on my left who is running like god and is actually the first place chip leader in this tournament now with something like 112 players left calls Also, the Button calls and the Big Blind calls. The Button's a reasonable player with about 33,000, so about the same stack as us. And the Big Blind is also a reasonable uh, reg on the site, just kind of like one of the regular New Jersey grinders um, who played mostly a tight, aggressive style. um, Nothing to write home about, but very solid kind of ABC poker uh, here in the Big Blind, and he calls with about sixty thousand in his stack so four of us are going to see the flop and the one that i care about the most is the player on my immediate left generally speaking if you make a raise and get called by the player on your left on your immediate left um, that player should have a very strong hand most serious players unless they're very deep stacked wouldn't really fool around too much with a hand like ace 10 offsuit or queen jack off suit. Like, it's probably not that category of hands. And the reason is simple. This player has the worst relative position. Now, what that means is that if I'm the pre flop raiser, after the flop, he is going to basically act second. And assuming that I continuation bet, which I often will, he's going to have to act second and he'll have two more opponents behind him. Now, he doesn't know that at the time that he makes the call, but Because there will be more players yet to act behind him, in all likelihood, he should be careful about what hands he chooses to put into his calling range here. Now, this player, this may not apply. Uh, I'm talking about a competent opponent who understands relative position and understands tournament theory and doesn't want to put himself into what we used to call a sandwich spot, (laughs) which is now you have to figure out what to do before other people act so you're sandwiched between the original razor and the players on your left uh, so you don't usually want to put yourself in that position without a very strong hand for many players it might be ace jack suited or better medium pairs like eights, nines and on up might be the, the full range for flatting. Uh, this particular opponent I didn't have that kind of read on as I mentioned he's a loose passive calling station so I don't expect him to be as discerning and as careful about not being in the worst relative position relative to the original razor, which is yours truly. So, uh, I'm more concerned about him because he's got the big stack and because he's probably the player that if there's money to be made in this pot, it will more likely be versus him than it is against the two professionals I put that in quotation marks because I don't know if they're playing full time, but they're playing regularly on the site and they seem to have a clue. The four of us see the flop. There's 4770 in the pot and we have about 33,000 behind. And the flop comes Ace of Hearts, King of Diamonds, Six of Spades. So Ace, King, Six, Rainbow, Hero holding the Ace. Jack off suit. Okay, great flop for us. We have top pair. We have a backdoor straight draw. Uh, so, this is a, a great flop. We have a good kicker. So, that's what you want with Ace Jack. You want to flop that ace. So, we're glad we did. Uh, the big blind checks and the actions on us. We bet half the pot again. There's 47.70 in the middle. We put in 23.85. And only the loose chip leader on the immediate left calls. So that's a perfect outcome. The two competent players are now out of the pot and we are now in the pot with a recreational opponent. The only problem is we're out of position, but we'll fade that for now. All right. So he calls the bet here on the flop and we're going heads up to the turn with 9540 in the middle and we have 30,000ish behind and the turn is the 9 of clubs. So ace, king, six, nine, Badoogie, and the action's on us. Uh, Well, we could certainly bet again. I mean, we have a loose, passive, mostly passive opponent here. He's probably going to pay off another bet, even if he only has a king. Uh, That's how loose he is. So it's probably just a straight value bet situation. I'm not sure. What my logic was, I think this is a mistake, but I decided to check the turn. I think against this particular opponent, just go ahead and value betting. Trying to get three streets of value for your pair of aces is probably the way to go. Perhaps I just wanted to mix it up a little here on 4th Street because you know the value bet always gets paid off on the river. So uh, that could have been my thinking there, but I still think that's a mistake. When you have this type of opponent and you have him all to yourself in a heads up situation, just go ahead and try to extract as many chips as possible in all three streets. Uh, so I, I do check and he bets 4770. So exactly half the pot again. So I'm pretty happy with this outcome. I mean, he will certainly be betting a lot of aces that we can beat. I think that he would usually have three bet pre-flop with ace, king, ace, queen, maybe not ace queen, but certainly ace king, which is extremely unlikely with the ace and the king on the board and the ace in my hand as well. So I'm really not worried about much. I suppose I could get coolered out here. If he's got ace queen, he has sets in his range, odd two pair combos like ace six suited in his range as well. Ace nine, maybe even King nine. That's how loose he was. Um, But overall we still like our hand even when, We induce this bet here on the turn. So no reason to raise, I don't think. We can't really get called by worse. So just go ahead and call and hope your ace jack is good. And now the pot is 19,000. And the river is the six of diamonds. Pairing the boards for a final board of ace, king, six, nine, six with no flush. So I think this river is an interesting decision because... At this point, there's just a really strong chance that that six is a terrible card for us. Uh, It's very likely that we were winning, and now we have a chop because we're going to end up with aces and sixes with a king kicker because our jack no longer plays, which is terrible news for those times when he has like ace rag, which is probably a big part of his range for betting the turn and then also giving more action here on the river. So because of that, I think the play here on the end is to shove or at least bet a large amount, maybe not necessarily a shove. I mean, we have, let's see, there's 19,000 in the pot and we have 25,000 behind. So yeah, we could definitely shove here. It's a slight overbet to the pot, about 20% more than the pot. Um, We could also just bet... It look like we're making a big value bet for something like sixteen thousand into nineteen thousand. That would also be fine. And the goal here is to try to push him off of a chop. I mean, we're unlikely to get action from a king anymore, and I'm not sure that a king would have bet the turn either. Although that's possible, Uh, we're really looking to get him to fold out his equity in what should be a split pot situation when he has a naked ace. In doing so, we would also have to fade the possibility that he has something like A6 or pocket sixes for quads or any other hand that's going to be able to either call the shove or shove over our big bet here on the river. Uh, And I just don't think that that's a big cause for concern. You cannot play poker just worrying about, well, what if my opponent has the nuts all the time? Like, he will... You will run into a big hand every so often, and of course, shoving here into quad sixes would feel and look very stupid, but the logic behind the play is that the most likely holding that we're facing here is either an ace or a king, and if he has an ace, we're chopping. If he has a king, we're not getting another dime out of him no matter what we do, so that's unimportant. We need to find the times when we can collect the whole pot when we're only entitled to half of it. The six on the river is terrible news because it just turned our winning hand into a chop. But now we have an opportunity to put into the test. Now, who knows? This guy's so loose, he might call you with like ace four (laughs) and see that it's a chop. And I can't fold an ace because I have an ace and there's an ace, so I can't fold. And that's how some of these guys think. But occasionally... If you really put him to the test, especially if it's the type of player that I suspect he is, he's, he's got the chip lead in this tournament. I don't believe he's had too many chip leads in too many tournaments, and he probably doesn't want to make a big mistake here. And some players will look at it and say, well, look, the best I can hope for if I call with this naked ace is that I'm chopping. So I don't want to put in all these chips hoping to just get half of it back. So I might as well just fold because obviously Clayton has something like ace-king. So because that's the kind of thinking we want him to have, it's one of those rare times when I would advocate for bluffing a calling station. Instead, your boy just checked, and then this guy snap-checked behind and turned over ace-seven of diamonds. So we chopped the pot, and I kicked myself afterwards. Uh, So hopefully by now you see why these two hands stuck out for me because they both involve the same kind of decisions around chop pots or what are likely to be chopped pots. You, know, you should be very careful when the board pairs, before you just let out a sigh of relief and check, hoping to chop, think about how else you might be able to get the whole thing for yourself. So that'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoy these two hands. Um, I didn't do great in this tournament. I did cash, but I I don't you know, I didn't make the final table or anything. Uh, but I just thought that there were some interesting spots that I had flagged for discussion on a podcast. I'm still going to see if I can somehow recover the uh, hands from the bigger tournament that I won on ACR, uh, at least to be able to go over how lucky I got in certain spots <laughs> to collect some of those big bounties and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm a big PKO fan. I really do think it It seems to uh, match up well with my general playing style. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Tweet me at Clayton Comic, And if you're still looking for a coaching site, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com for as little as $25 a month. You can have access to thousands and thousands of hours of amazing videos from some of the greatest coaches in the poker world. Alex Fitzgerald, Andrew Brokus, Jared Smith, Colin Moshman, and on and on and on for only $25 a month with your annual paid subscription. So check that out. And for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
0: best stay with me Luck and intuition Play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked I'll play the one that's on her heart